Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek on this Earth Day. Thank you for joining us. Hope you are well. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to be talking about on AOA today. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us to talk about ethanol being left out of the relief package from USDA and the situation that ethanol industry finds itself in right now a lot of plants closing down others are struggling to find a way to stay open we'll talk about that with jeff cooper we're going to look at the impact of covid19 overall on agriculture with the chief economist for the american farm bureau federation john newton who'll be joining us and justin gilpin ceo of kansas wheat will join us last time we talked with him a few days ago was right when they had that cold snap in kansas and he talked about they were concerned about uh, damage to the wheat crop. They were assessing that damage. Well, we'll find out uh, what uh, that assessment is and just how much damage may have been done to the wheat crop in Kansas coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off today going to the state of Minnesota. Our good friend Joe Gill, who is farm director at KASM, Chasm Radio in Albany, Minnesota. Joe, good to talk with you. Hope you're well. Hey, Mike, we're doing real well. Hope uh, you're doing well as well. Yes. Hey, lots uh, in your area. You have very diverse agriculture there, corn, soybeans, uh, dairy, poultry, uh, certainly um, uh, biofuels industry is important to your state as well. So a lot of things coming together right now. We talk a lot about the impact of COVID-19 on agriculture, and I wanted to kind of focus on your area there in Minnesota. I've heard from some listeners in your area, from a listener in particular, talking about concerns uh, for egg producers. Uh, uh, Let's start there. Let's look at the poultry industry and the impact that you've seen in your area from COVID-19. I know, Mike, I had a listener just a few days ago call in and he noticed some some activity in a few neighbors' farms where uh, some birds have been euthanized in some instances where uh, just nowhere to go with the eggs. We had a plant nearby in Big Lake, which is uh, toward east uh, between between Albany and the Twin Cities metro area, and that plant has uh, shut down temporarily. That was a Cargill plant uh, in Big Lake shut down last week. So uh, nowhere to go with with eggs. Uh, some birds have been euthanized as well in in those scenarios. I know it's a handful of uh, of farms that I was uh, had reports uh, from listeners. I know the Star Tribune just did a story in one of our nearby farms as well and had their chickens uh, uh, euthanized uh, last week. So it's going on right now. They say the main reason, too, is uh, these eggs mainly going for, for fluid eggs, for, for retail or for businesses, for restaurants and such. And therefore, there's that dynamic, that switch in demand from fluid to obviously more demand for eggs like in a store setting. So that switch can't be made so so much so easy in that scenario, and that's kind of where the the ripple is coming in that whole scenario. Yeah, we have learned that uh, while our food production system is very efficient in many ways, it's not as flexible as we might have thought, and we're seeing problems like this uh, pop up all over the place and causing a lot of real issues like you just described. Now, you're uh, in a big dairy area. We've heard about milk dumping going on. Is that Has that gone on in your area at all? You know, I've seen no uh, milk dumping. I've heard of no milk dumping in our area or, or in our state necessarily. I have not heard any of that uh, from our dairy leaders I, I've been in contact with, have heard nothing as well. 
There is talk, uh, I know we, we always talk about on a national level of having some sort of quota system. Um, there is some talk with having local co-ops maybe doing a, a little more fine-tuning or or adjusting that or having a little more control on the amount of milk and stuff. And that's an idea that has come up recently. But but thank goodness we have not had any uh, reports of milk dumping. It, it's a little weird. We had our extension report air on Wednesday morning, and they were talking about what to do in that case and what do you do with that milk. Do you put it in your pit or do you apply it to your fields? And it was just kind of odd sitting back listening to that report and realizing that could be an option for some in the near future. We're talking with Joe Gill, Farm Director at KASM, CASM Radio, Albany, Minnesota. Joe, um, more and more uh, packing plants are closing down. What are you seeing and hearing as far as the impact on livestock producers in your area? There's a lot of concern there on on when and if, and a lot of those questions uh, coming out. I know we had, going back to poultry, we had a Jenny O plant here. I know some reports uh, from some other media outlets uh, they had some uh, employees testing uh, positive for COVID-19. Now, they remain open. This is in Wilmer, and this is about an hour uh, south of Albany here in central Minnesota. They remain open. But like you said, going back to some of them packing plants, uh, you can see it just in the markets here in some of the fat cattle numbers where you saw fat Holstein steers at $0.89 cents a pound. Right now it takes a really good one to get 74 75 76 cents. And that's been like that the last couple of weeks. So uh, the losses for the farmers on, on the farm level is very evident. It's been there for a while. And just when to get back to, you know, being open, can they, can they maintain some sort of processing at a lower level? Um, it's, it's a big concern. You're also a big biofuel state in Minnesota. We're going to be talking in our next uh, segment with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association. The ethanol industry, the biodiesel industries are really hurting. Uh, What impact are you seeing there in your area? You know, a lot of folks are enjoying low gas prices, Mike, but uh, when it comes to corn, you see some of these cash prices and such, and even the futures uh, markets, it's it's way under breaking even right now, breaking even right now. And Seeing some of those plants in southern Minnesota, well, well, they've been shut down for a while, too. Nothing going on there. It's a, it's a huge concern, and it's an industry, as you're well well aware of, Mike, it just seems like you, you take a step ahead, you take three back, and it's been really frustrating for a lot of folks. Your area, folks like to be out, uh, out on lakes and doing a lot of outdoor activities. Is that starting back up or not? Uh, this past weekend, uh, the governor, uh, they did make an executive order starting, it was either late Friday or early Saturday, opening up golf courses. So we have golf courses open. Uh, they're maintaining their social distancing, which golfing, there's a lot of that built into that whole game already. Uh, but some of that, they're allowing uh, some fishing going on, no commercial sort of uh, guides or anything like that, but you can go out and do some fishing and such. I know I read some information this morning. Some of these resorts are, are able to operate at a certain level as well. So we're starting to see that trickle in just a little bit, but there's a lot of demand for a lot of folks to, to get back and do a little more. But obviously there's a lot of unknown uh, playing a role in that factor. 
You know, my golf game lends itself to social distancing. I was already doing that when I played golf because I'm off in places no one else, you know, maybe has ever been because looking for my ball usually. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I'm in that same boat too, Mike. <laughs> well, Joe, good to talk with you. Good to talk always with uh, your listeners there and with Chasm Radio. Always uh, have enjoyed my visits up to your area and uh, glad we're on with KASM and the great job that you do there uh, in Albany, Minnesota. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. Joe Gill, Farm Director at KASM Radio in Albany, Minnesota. All right. We're, we've been talking about the biofuels industry, the ethanol industry, really getting hard hit by COVID-19. We're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Next, ethanol industry did not get any help in that uh, USDA relief package. We'll talk about that with Jeff and more. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Late last Friday, when USDA announced its $19 billion relief package, covered a lot of uh, different areas of agriculture, but noticeably absent was the ethanol industry. Here to talk about that is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Uh, your reaction? I know you have to be disappointed that ethanol was not part of the package. Well, I think we have Jeff. We'll, we will uh, try to get him reconnected here and uh, get his thoughts on being ethanol not receiving any assistance in the uh, package from USDA last Friday. And certainly there's great need. The ethanol industry really hurting right now. A lot of plants are closed, and we know that fuel demand is down with people not driving because of COVID-19, even with the low prices, and just folks not having really anywhere to go in many cases. So not much driving, really having an impact, and we're seeing some uh, the impact, of course, on the corn market, and we are seeing the impact on things like CO2, which is used in a lot of other areas, uh, DDGs, that's also being, you know, they're harder to find now for the livestock industry. So certainly has had a ripple effect uh, with the ethanol industry and the impact on rural economies with the, a lot of these plants closing and people without jobs. That has an impact uh, throughout the, the especially mid-America. You know, the thing that a lot of critics of the ethanol industry they were constantly putting the ethanol industry down and criticizing it well now we're seeing how important it is and how many people are impacted by that industry being shut down so we'll be talking hopefully with jeff cooper about that more in just a few moments as we try to reconnect with jeff 
Also coming up, we're going to talk with John Newton, a chief economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, because we want to get a big picture look at how agriculture is being impacted by COVID-19. seems like every sector is, and to what degree and to how much. And I want to get John's thoughts on how much he thinks this $19 billion from USDA's relief package will help and in what areas it will help the most, and then what's going to be needed beyond that, because it's going to go very, very quickly. But there are also a lot of questions about how it's going to get out to the people who need it. It's one thing to say direct payments, but when you're also involved with purchases and how do you get the, that distribution handled, that that's a big question. Also, a lot of, we heard this yesterday from the pork industry, the beef industry, the dairy industry, a lot of concerns about the payment limits the, that are part of that package and whether or not that's going to keep it from being as effective as it might be. So we will get uh, John's thoughts on that in a bit as well. Also coming up, we'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, because um, they are dealing with um, you know that recent cold snap, and we want to get the latest on if uh, the damage was as great as feared when uh, that cold weather had hit. So that's coming up in a bit as well. All right, so we're having some technical problems. Uh, we're going to try to get back to uh, Jeff Cooper here in just a moment. We have him, but I think uh, we got some computer issues, so we are going to uh, get to him hopefully in just a bit. I, I do find it interesting that in this time of social distancing, and now we have uh, folks protesting that uh, they are want, wanting to get out more and some of these restrictions being relieved. Uh, it's interesting to see how that is going in different areas. I, have you noticed this? Uh, I was at a store over the weekend. I, I wanted something that I went in, knew what I wanted, went in, got it, got out. But I know that store was packed. It was uh, like, well, it was a Lowe's. And it was packed with people, you know. And I thought, hmm. You know, some with masks, some without masks. You know, they were trying to monitor the number of people that were in everything. But I thought, as the weather improves and as it's warming up, it's going to be harder to keep people in place. So we'll see uh, how this, how we continue to try this delicate balancing act between uh, health, safety, and the need to get out and get things going again. Big debate in our country right now. All right, I think we're back up and going. Jeff Cooper, are you there? I'm here, Mike. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm fine. Sorry about that. something. But every time we have you on, it seems like we have some kind of technical difficulty. I apologize for that. But good to have you with us. Sorry. Hey, uh, let's go to uh, the $19 billion package from USDA. I mentioned that ethanol noticeably absent. How disappointing was that? Well, it was incredibly disappointing for our industry to be left behind in, in that package. We were uh, very active in discussing the industry's needs and and really just the the, the pain and suffering that we're experiencing in the industry uh, with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and and with uh, Congress as as well. So we were hopeful uh, that there would be uh, some form of relief provided for the ethanol industry in that package. Uh, But, of course, we saw the the details announced last Friday evening, and and ethanol was was not included. Uh, Secretary Purdue said there just wasn't wasn't enough uh, enough money to go around. So uh, now we're pivoting toward the the fourth stimulus package that Congress is beginning to work on, and, and hope that we can get something done in in that package. 
what would you like to see? What kind of assistance is needed the most? How would it be most effective? Well, Mike, what we're most con- concerned about and most worried about is is when things do reopen, you know, when, when the economy does reopen, and I heard you just uh, talking about that, um, and demand starts to pick up and people start getting back on the roads and burning gasoline, uh, you know, we, we want to position our industry to be able to ramp up quickly uh, when we turn that corner. And, and they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to go out and start buying corn and grinding corn if they if they don't have any any cash on hand and, and most of our facilities and, and companies have, have burned through their cash reserves um, so what we're looking for and what we're hoping for is that some CCC resource from USDA would be available uh, to ethanol producers to help them purchase uh, some of that feedstock some of that corn uh, when when we turn the corner and when there's a need to start ramping up again so hopefully maybe in the next package, and everyone expects there will be a, a next package. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO yep. of the Renewable Fuels Association. I mentioned this, too. Uh, we're starting to see, you know, a lot of people were critical of the ethanol industry, but now they're realizing how important it is and the many services and products that are provided, such as now we're running on, you know, in some cases hard to get the DDGs, the livestock industry needs, CO2, which is, is important for a lot of different yep. industries. That's now in tight supply. Well, it is, and I think people are now uh, remembering that the ethanol industry makes a lot more than ethanol. And you're right. We, we typically make about 40 million tons of distiller's grains every year, very high-protein animal feed, uh, low cost, the lowest-cost source of protein really available in the feed market. Uh, and we're hearing a lot of concern from cattle feeders, from uh, from the hog industry, from the poultry industry about the lack of availability of these distillers grains, and, and where they can't find them, of course, the, the price is, has gone up um, because we've got a very constrained supply. So uh, there's that issue. You, you mentioned the CO2. About uh, 45 or 50 ethanol plants capture CO2. They they sell that uh, product to. Uh, the, the food and beverage industry, it's also used in, in medical applications and wastewater treatment. And so when these plants shut down, um, you know, it, it has these ripple effects. And, and the users of these other co-products begin to notice that those products are in short supply. And so it's uh, a bit ironic, actually, to have uh, the livestock and poultry folks um, saying, gosh, we got to do everything we can to, to help keep the ethanol industry uh, afloat and, and keep up and running so we can continue to access these distillers grants. Uh, you know, not too long ago, those were the same folks we were doing battle with on, on Capitol Hill. And I guess the big question that we all kind of wondering is how how do we come out of this uh, pandemic? Um, and I guess asking you, for ethanol plants, do you expect them all to be able to come back? Or are we going to lose some? Or as people start driving and we get going again, how do you see the industry bouncing back? Yeah, that's that's the, the question that we're all asking ourselves right now, Mike, and, and trying to figure out what, what this recovery might look like. Um, there have been some, some recent studies that sort of look at different scenarios. And, and I think, you know, we've seen a few that we think, uh, you know, seem reasonable where, you know, they're looking at sort of a 40 or 50 percent demand loss in the next few months, really through at least May, maybe uh, early June, um, and then a, a more gradual recovery. And, and we really, you know, you, you don't just jump right uh, back to being normal. And so it's going to take some time to get back to where we were.
Jeff, have you got time to stay with us? I'd like to continue a little more. Have you got a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, stay with us. We'll continue with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Also be talking next with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Some common things here we can talk about with both guests. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He stays with us, and we're joined now by John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Mike. All right, I want to I want to go back to Jeff, and we're going to tie these things together because we're looking at the, the impact of COVID nineteen on the ag economy, on the general economy, and and how we come out of this. And Jeff, you were talking about uh, uh, ethanol plants and how they how will they be able to rebound uh, as hopefully the economy gets up and going soon. Uh, and your disappointment that there was not assistance in this last package uh, from USDA. Then hopefully you'll get some assistance in the next one. Um, have are ethanol plants able to access things like the Paycheck Protection Program we're, we're hearing so much about? Some of these other things that are out there, have they been able to, uh, uh, those running ethanol plants, been able to access any of that? Yeah, they absolutely have, Mike. At least most of most of the ethanol facilities out there have been able to access uh, some of those programs that were, were authorized under the CARES Act. Uh, and, and frankly, we were really pleased to see just last night the Senate uh, approved more funding for the Paycheck Protection Program. That that's been the biggest uh, concern with the, with the program is is just that there wasn't enough money uh, appropriated in the first round. So we're, we were pleased to see that the Senate uh, plussed that up last night, and and we expect that the the House uh, will follow suit quickly, and and that the President will sign that sort of, uh, you know, CARES 3.5 Act or whatever people are calling it into law before the end of the week. Uh, the, the Paycheck Protection Program has been quite important uh, to, to many of our member companies um, in just helping them cover wages and, and benefits uh, and, and retain their, their employees, which was really priority number one. Uh, you know, even even with many of these facilities shut down, they want to retain their workforce uh, they want to retain the, the employees that they've invested so much into uh you know these are highly highly skilled highly trained workers and we don't want to lose them during this crisis it looks like in whatever form the economy rebounds it's going to take a while it's going to be stretched out for a while so it's hard to say on an individual plant by plant basis i know but are you concerned that some of your plants in the industry will not come back well, Mike, we, you know, we have the capacity to produce 17 billion gallons of ethanol uh, annually. Um, you know, we think it's it's probably going to take some time to get back uh, to to a, uh, you know, the supply-demand balance where that sort of, you know, full capacity utilization is, is going to be necessary. We're also already looking at record stocks uh, 
We've got about 1.2 billion gallons in, in storage. It's going to take some time to, to work some of that off. And so, yeah, I think there are scenarios where uh, some of those ethanol plants that are sort of at, at the margin, the, the, the least efficient facilities, uh, the ones that have burned through their, their, their cash reserves and really have, um, you know, no, no access to credit and, and other things, I, there's a decent chance that some of those facilities may not come back online uh, certainly in the in the near term, and, and possibly we may never see some of those facilities operating again. John Newton, as you look at the big picture for the ag economy, uh, let's look at the biofuels industry and how it is hurting right now and the impact that's had. Uh, Jeff and I talked earlier about DDG availability. We talked about the CO2 availability. Uh, kind of talk about the ripple effect this has had throughout the ag economy. Well, well Mike, I, I think, you know, we were already in a, a pretty challenging situation coming off multiple years of uh, of trade uncertainty. Uh, I think folks were optimistic that things would start to turn around uh, this year, and now we seem to be facing a battle on another front. And this one, uh, one of the most significant, uh, you know, economic downturns we've seen in in our country's history. Uh, and and the fact that we're seeing these the ethanol processing facilities uh, idle capacity across the country. You're right; it's having an impact on. Uh, the supplies of DDGs, that's impacting livestock producers that are, are feeding animals, uh, has an impact on CO2 availability that has an impact on these livestock facilities as well. And then we've seen cash corn prices uh, uh, significantly depressed. I don't think farmers can, can get that money uh, from the CFAT package soon enough. When you look at that assistance package that USDA announced, obviously $19 billion is a lot of money, but it's not enough. Um, Talk about how helpful do you think it will be and any concerns or questions about things like the payment limit restrictions and how that's actually going to get out to people, especially the purchases part of it. You know, I think the $19 billion, $16.5 billion in direct payments, it's a down payment. And, and I think uh, we crunched some numbers. You know, we look at the Commodity Credit Corporation, Mike. It hasn't been touched since 1987. If you adjust it for inflation, we should have resources uh, to the tune of nearly $70 billion to support agriculture. So I think we need uh, additional resources uh, for farmers and ranchers that have been impacted uh, by the coronavirus. Uh, We hope that this package uh, can be all-inclusive, but we're going to be looking at the CCC money available uh, in July, and I think we're going to have to go back to the Hill and get, get more resources because, you know, one of the things I think that the Secretary in a call with the farm bureaus this week, uh, acknowledged that when you go and you, you take care of the airline industry, you're going to take care of the American Airlines, you're going to take care of the United. And so to, to parallel that with agriculture, if you want to help save agriculture, we can't have things like payment limits. Uh, when you think about 20% of the producers uh, produce about 80% of the food, payment limits is not going to help. We need to get rid of those payment limits get the support to where it's needed, both small and large farms, and help farmers get through this this downturn. Jeff, I want to come back to you. Um, one of the things we're seeing during COVID-19, a lot of uh, changes, uh, a lot of concerns about uh, different things being waived, and uh, some are helpful, some are concerns that uh, rights are being lost and different things like that. Uh, it also seems to be opening a door for those that want to attack constantly want to attack the RFS, and some are seeing this perhaps as a way to uh, go at it once again. How concerned are you about uh, protecting the RFS during this crisis? 
Well, Mike, we're always on guard uh, when it comes to attacks on the renewable fuel standard, and, and you're right. It, it does feel like the oil industry has decided that, uh, hey, the, the, ethanol's, the, the ethanol industry is struggling, and, and so let's kick those guys while they're down. That's certainly how it feels today. Uh, we have seen a, a request from five oil state governors to just waive the, the RFS requirements entirely in 2020. And, and their rationale or, or what they're the, the logic they're trying to use is, is look, you know, gasoline consumption has, has fallen off a cliff and, you know, the refining sector is really struggling economically. And so let's just waive the RFS. Uh, you know, that doesn't doesn't hold water and certainly doesn't meet the statutory criteria for I- issuing a general waiver. Uh, and so we are we are uh, pushing back really hard on that. Uh, you know, under normal circumstances, we wouldn't be terribly concerned about uh, about that sort of request. Uh, you know, when we've seen governors uh, make those kinds of requests in the past, EPA has has quickly dismissed them. Uh, but this is this is a different administration and a different EPA when it comes to helping the oil guys and the refiners. Uh, you know, just yesterday, the president tweeted out that that uh, they're going to do whatever it takes to help uh, you know save the U.S oil and gas industry and and so you know yeah we're we're uh we're we're keeping our we're remaining vigilant against the tax on the rfs and and frankly the rfs is a program we need now more than ever uh to to create that floor and and that that guaranteed uh market for our product during a a, an otherwise really uncertain and, and destabilizing time John Jeff talked about the disappointment of ethanol not being part of the assistance package from USDA. Uh, there are those in the dairy industry uh, disappointed that uh, they're not reopening dairy margin coverage program again. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Mike, you know, what what our ask to the secretary was for for the dairy industry was to get some direct payments uh, out to producers as soon as possible to help them. Uh, deal with the very, very significant price declines uh, that they'd experienced. And and I think when you look at the intent uh, of dairy margin coverage, it's meant to be insurance. Uh, it was made extremely affordable in the last farm bill. And so we, we encourage folks uh, to sign up, to sign up at the 950 level. Uh, you buy insurance uh, for, for when you don't think you're going to need it. And and I think, you know, while we see the challenges with, with DMC, uh, with dairy revenue protection, Mike, we built that product. Uh, it's going to be a lifeline, a lifesaver uh, for dairies across the country. Indemnities are going to start going out very, very soon. Uh, we just closed the first quarter. Uh, we've seen estimates that, that dairy revenue protection could potentially provide up to a billion dollars in crop insurance support to those dairy farmers that got it. And, and that's why we built dairy revenue, uh, was to put a real insurance product in the hands of dairy producers. Uh, and so we're real pleased that it's it's working as as we intended it to do. All right, uh, guys, I want to thank both of you for being with us through these uh, challenging times as we try to uh, look ahead. And I think uh, the challenge not only getting through now, but what's, what are things going to be like uh, w- once we do get through this? And I think there are a lot of questions about that as well. Jeff, a real quick question. Only got a few seconds left. Are we seeing any uh, improvements in, in ethanol exports? Uh, well, you know, actually, January and February were very strong months for, for export volumes. We mm-hmm. haven't seen the March data yet, uh, but we are hearing that there's attrition in, in exports as well, which is not surprising because this is a global pandemic and, and 
right. you know, people are, have really slowed down their driving in, in other countries as well. Yeah, it's just a huge challenge as we try to work our way through this. It is a global situation. I want to thank Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Guys, thanks for being with us. Stay safe. Thanks, Mike. You too. Thank you, Mike. All right, up next, how bad was the damage to the Kansas wheat crop from that recent cold snap? We'll talk with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, just a few days ago, we talked with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat, about the cold snap that had hit Kansas and concerns about damage to the wheat crop. Let's get a follow-up because, Justin, then when we talked with you, you you were saying it would take a few days to be able to assess any uh, possible damage. You've had some time now. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, Mike, I'm not trying to do this just to keep you to keep keep me as a guest, but I think we still need a little (laughs) bit more time. But, uh, you know, we've had a chance to get out and look at some of the fields. Uh, We are starting to see some damage, some of the cosmetic where you're seeing the leaf burn. Uh, We're getting out in the fields and cutting open some stems and looking at heads to see, you know, what is the damage, what is the loss. And and it's really starting to become apparent that there is a line from central Kansas uh, around the Salina area that goes southwest diagonal kind of towards Dodd City that they're, they're going to be some potential loss due to the freeze that uh, we, we still may be a week out from from really knowing the full extent of, of that of, uh, that event. So what you're saying is uh, I'll need to call you next week, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to keep my, my spot here at job security, but certainly it's going to take a little bit more time. Uh, you know, the crop conditions report that came out on Monday for the U.S. did show a decline in the winter wheat from 62% down to 57%. Kansas did drop from 50% to 46%, good to excellent. Some of that is related to the to the cosmetic damage that's being seen out in the field, uh, but I think a lot of that was more due to the dry conditions that we've had, and we still may be a week out from those USDA NAS numbers really reflecting uh, the freeze damage that's happened uh, Nebraska through uh, Oklahoma. I was going to ask you, what are your conditions now? Well, you know, you know, last time we talked, I, I mentioned that uh, one of the things I was probably as concerned, if not more concerned, about with this uh, winter wheat crop in Kansas was the dry conditions that we've had out in western Kansas. You know, we were really dry in the fall. We we didn't get some wheat that uh, didn't emerge. It didn't come up until after after winter. Uh, so there were low tiller counts in a lot of those areas. Um, but, you know, so so really watching that drought, those drought areas in southwest Kansas, eastern Colorado, the Oklahoma panhandle, that's really what's kept uh, kept our conditions being about 20% less than what they were last year. 
and then you throw this freeze event on top of it, it's probably going to be reflected next week in, in the USDA NAS report declining again. So it's going to take some more time. As you said, you've been out, you've been looking and checking. What you're seeing out there beyond the, the concerns about damage, what about the overall quality? Of, what are you seeing out there? Well, it's it's pretty variable. You know, it, a lot depends on, on uh, you know, certainly the, the planting dates when the crop got planted and whether or not it got some moisture in the fall and got better establishment going into winter. Uh, yeah, so you're seeing, uh, you know, pretty variable conditions. When you look at the U.S. hardwood winter wheat crop as a whole, uh, you saw uh, the southern plains that did get a little bit more moisture uh, the last two weeks uh, with Texas and Oklahoma. Those conditions uh, ha- are looking a little bit better. Uh, but where we've missed out on some rains the last two weeks, you know, at a, where we're getting into a pretty critical time for this winter wheat crop uh, in Kansas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, and even parts of South Dakota, you saw declines in those in those ratings. So I think moisture is probably what we're really going to be watching going forward, Mike, uh, for the development and the quality of this hard red winter wheat crop, uh, just uh, not only for the crop that had low tiller counts, that had dry conditions, but also for that uh, wheat that isn't impacted by that freeze, uh, how, it, how it responds and, and uh, uh, comes back after, after uh, losing a flag leaf or trying to have secondary tillers come on. It's really going to need uh, good moisture, the right temperatures from this point going forward to, to be an average-type crop. Yeah, you need a lot of things now to fall in place to get you to that point. Uh, and we talked last time, this comes when there is some optimism about the, uh, the growing markets. I mean, the demand seems to be picking up. Well, it, it is certainly an interesting time in futures markets, uh, Mike. You know, it, it's a difficult time in agriculture. You know, we saw a government program be announced uh, late Friday, uh, trying to address the challenges that we're seeing uh, at the at the farm gate, uh, not only for for crop producers but ranchers, uh, livestock producers. But um, you know, as far as when you look at the commodity markets, uh, wheat does have somewhat of a borderline bullish story to it, with uh, somewhat doing better, uh, hanging on to uh, some of its gains it had here in the last month, and some of that's due to, uh, you know, concerns about the crop conditions in the U.S., uh, but there's really been a big focus on what's going on in, in Europe uh, as far as uh, dryness that we're seeing in Eastern Europe and potential export quotas being talked about uh, from Russia, uh, and so the, all of those things combined has really helped uh, help wheat uh, kind of hold its own so to speak, in a very difficult, challenging time for, for a futures market. And something that producers probably need to be paying attention to because uh, if there are some pricing opportunities, uh, you don't want to don't want to miss out on that because uh, there are so many uncertainties right now. If a, if you have a chance to t- try to lock in, a, lock in a profit, you probably ought to be uh, trying to consider that and talking to uh, your market advisors. How's your forecast looking? Well, you know, we've got uh, some rain that's coming in today, so we're watching that. It stayed a little bit further south overnight. Uh, you know, there were some pretty big storms that went through Texas and Oklahoma that did bring some hail with it. Uh, some of the rains that are falling are in southern parts of Kansas, and so we'll be watching that system. We've got another system that's forecasted that come through uh, later this week and into the weekend that uh, we're hoping will bring uh, some, some good half-inch or one-inch rains that would benefit benefit the crop and that's it's really what we need but if we miss out on those rains it would be a pretty pretty critical time to miss out on it so certainly you're right we're going to be watching that 
that forecast pretty pretty closely, Mike. Well, we'll hope you'll get the rain without the hail. You certainly don't need that with all your other challenges, so hopefully that part will miss you. And just plan on it. We'll give you a call next week, and we'll get another update, okay? Yeah, appreciate talking to you, Mike. Stay safe, my friend. Take care. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. With that, we wrap it up for today. Tomorrow we continue our look at uh, dealing with COVID-19 and looking beyond as well. And plus, an update on that new Waters of the U.S. rule. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA.